You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're glad that you have joined us to worship with this expression of Christ's body. And uh, you uh, may be new to us, but uh, you're not new to your Heavenly Father. And He loves you, and He knows how to speak to you, and He wants to do that today. So every one of us, I just uh, encourage you just to open your hearts up to the new thing that God has. His mercies are new every morning. We want to experience the new things that God has for us. Uh, Appreciate the old and all that He's done in the past, but we live in the present. We live in, in the grace of God for this moment, for this time, for this day. So let's just all open up our hearts this morning and receive that from him. And obviously you guys have heard that we're going to meet on Wednesday nights for the next five or six weeks at 6.30. We're going to try to keep it to an hour. I want to, we really want to make it manageable to, for people to be able to fit it into their schedule. But, you know, this morning just, you know, pray about it. Put it before the Lord and see if he wouldn't have you just make a commitment and just say, you know, for the next six weeks, that's a manageable thing that you can do. For the next six weeks, I'm going to make this a regular part of my life and a part of my schedule. You will be rewarded. You will not leave here wishing that you hadn't have come, okay? Um, And I know that it's hard, so I'm not trying to talk you into anything. Just trying to encourage you and pump you up. And uh, let you know that God has some good things for us as a body and also for you personally um, as we look forward to uh, beginning this new year. Um, and there is child care available, okay? So um, you can bring your kids and uh, they'll have a safe and fun place to, to wait while you're, um, while you're in here. We're gonna, we'll have worship. We'll have a prayer. We're not really sure about the format yet, um, but it's, it's an open type of uh, prayer time where... Um, we're all able to just respond to the Lord um, as He wants us to. It's always amazing when we gather together how God just kind of weaves. He's already doing it in your life, and then you come together and you start praying, and uh, you see that God is doing similar things in other people's lives. It's really amazing. Um, And you get a lot out of it, but I know that the kingdom of God benefits and is advanced um, through that. So don't miss this opportunity. It's just a season that we have set aside for seeking the Lord. So coming up Wednesday. I don't think there's any other announcements, um, so I'm going to let the kids go to children's ministry, and let's pause and pray for them as they go, okay? Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, yeah, y'all can go ahead and go. Not that I could stop them if I wanted to. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these kids. Thank you, Lord, for uh, just the enthusiasm that they have to go and uh, to uh, to spend time uh thinking about you and talking about you and celebrating you, um, I pray for them, Lord. I pray that uh, these days would be uh, days that are formative and days that are pleasing to you and that they would be impacted in a really powerful way, Lord. They need to know you and they need to see you in order to face the life that you're going to give them, Lord, and that they're going to encounter when they uh, grow up. Um, Plant seeds, Lord Jesus, that will grow into big fruit. Uh, in their lives. And I pray for those that are serving this morning, Lord, that you would bless them too, that uh, it wouldn't just be uh, like a routine or, a, or a, uh, an obligation, um, but they would be blessed, Lord, to see faith 
uh, and see um, the, the work of the Spirit in these children's lives. And uh, we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so we're going to start a series. Actually, we're not starting a series. Um, I, t- I was talking to David about this this week. Um, as, as I begin the new year, uh, I just want to be able to share some sort of one-off messages. They are going to be always going to be interrelated and connected, um, but it's not a series per se. And this morning, I don't have a PowerPoint, so we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. Um, I hope that you're all right with that. So you're going to need to bring your Bibles um, when you come, uh, or your electronic device that you have your Bible on. That's uh, the redeeming quality of the electronic devices. Um, but uh, let's just come prepared just to encounter the Lord, what God is speaking to us. This flows out of, um, the, the message this morning flows out of my um, one-year uh, Bible uh, reading. I'm right now in uh, Exodus and so what I'm sharing with you this morning is just a really fresh word that just really impacted me. Um, and I want to share it with you guys. It just seems like it's really timely. But at least for the next four uh, weeks or so, I just want to share messages like that that are not necessarily a series, uh, but just an overflow of my heart um, as the Lord has been speaking to me. And hopefully it connects with where you are as well. So this, this sermon this morning I've titled um, The Third Rail. Um, if you're from East Texas, you might not be familiar with the third rail. You may not even know what a third rail is. Uh, but a third rail is um, like in a subway, um, there's two, two rails that the subway runs on, and then there's a third rail that runs, a lot of times it runs right down the middle of the track. Sometimes it's off to the side and it's kind of covered. Um, sometimes it's actually also a, um, like a power line that runs ab- above the track. But it's where the power comes from. So the car is connected. It's not, it, it doesn't have any power of its own. It's connected to uh, the power through that third rail. And when you hear about a third rail, if you're familiar with it, you also know that there's great danger associated with that. So if somebody were to get down in the uh, subway tracks and touch that third rail, they'd be electrocuted. Um, so there's kind of a caution that goes with it. And I want to talk about this third rail um, this morning in the context of God's work in our life and how vital it is for us to be connected to that power source. Um, I just did a a wedding for um, Bailey and uh, Marcos this past week. Let's just give them a great encouragement and just, I just love these guys and uh, I'm so excited about what God has for them and just the way they're starting their lives together. but anyway, one of the things that I shared in, in the wedding uh, that I do often in weddings is I talk about Ecclesiastes um, chapter, where is it? I don't even have it written down, I'm sorry. I'm disorganized there, but it's, it's, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, thir- the um, threefold chord. So it starts off by saying, um, I'm sorry, it's Ecclesiastes 4, I do have it in my notes, it's just not bold. Um, And the difference in a a Christian marriage is it describes, here's here's what it describes. It says two are better than one, and then it goes on to talk about all the different ways that two are better than one. And this is echoing what God was saying about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. I mean, he looks at at creation, he says it's good, he creates Adam, and when he looks at Adam, he says it's not good. It's not good for us 
to be alone. And so Ecclesiastes starts by talking about two are better than one, and it talks about the advantages. They have a good reward for their labor. If one of them falls down, they got somebody else to pick them up. Um, they can resist the enemy. Um, so it gives some examples of why two are better than one, and then it says something funny. Like the Bible often does, you think you're on track, you're tracking with it, and then it comes up with this. It says, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. It's like, I thought we were talking about two, but we're not talking about two. We're talking about three. And the third cord is God's involvement in our life. So when they're standing there making these promises to one another, the most important thing that's happening that day, that's important. That's, that's, that's the most important decision that you'll ever make. For me, that was the best decision that I ever made, and it led me to the Lord. But that decision that I'm making, that commitment that I'm making, is not the only thing that's going on because God is making a commitment as well. When two people promise themselves to each other, and, and this is how I was, I'm just, I wish I could follow through on that, but I know that I'm not capable of making a lifelong commitment and saying this is the way it's going to be. I can say this is the way I hope that it will be, but God makes a promise as well. And he says, if you will promise yourself to each other and promise yourself to me, I am that third cord. And there will be times in your life when you will fail in your commitment. And sometimes, devastatingly, both people will fail at the same time. But God's making a commitment, and he's saying, I will never fail you. I will hold, I will hold true. A threefold cord is not easily broken. So I'm using that as an example of God's involvement in a Christian marriage. And this morning, I'm talking about God's involvement in your walk with the Lord, in those rails, in that track that you're called to run on, in that, uh, in that lane that has been set aside for you, that there is a third element to that, that is God's involvement in your life. We know that truly being a believer, being a child of God, means having a personal relationship with the Lord. It's not just a passing acquaintance with the things that he's said and the, and the way, what people say about him and all of that, but it's a personal relationship with the Lord. We know that, right? Right? Interactive, guys. It's got to be interactive, okay? Um, that's just the way I am. Uh, I will fold before you in a, in a, a, a heap of failure if you're not interacting with me. we got to all be doing this together, okay? I promise. We know that being a believer and being a child of God means being, having a personal relationship with the Lord. Not just knowing about Him, but truly knowing Him. Now, this is confusing to a lot of people because you can't see Him. You can't really hear Him. If you're hearing voices, a lot of times people are like, that's not right. There's something bad going on there, Right? But we know that it's vital, it's essential that we have that kind of relationship with God. That's what it means to be a child of God. That's what it means to be a believer. That mean, that's what it means to be in Christ and for Christ to be in you is that it's an interactive thing that's going on. You're living your life, but you're not living your life in this void or under this like um, imagination, but there's a real thing that's going on there. Um, and it's not just knowing about him, it's knowing him personally. We each need to have a real encounter with the living God, as the scripture calls him, the living God. He's alive. An experience that old-time Pentecostals used to call pressing in. We all need to have that experience with God 
that is, they described it as pressing in. It's when you just set your heart to seek the Lord. I drove by um, the house where we used to have our um, Friday uh, night meetings when I first got saved. We had a small group of people that gathered on Friday nights. We were used to going out on Friday nights. We were used to partying on Friday nights. We were used to staying up late on Friday nights. And when we came to Jesus, we didn't have to go out anymore. We went in. We went into this house with these people that loved us and, and, uh, and accepted us right where we were. And we pressed into the Lord. And I remember when I think about that house, I remember the smell of the carpet in the living room. Now listen, God never forced me to put my face on the carpet before him. But I did it because I wanted him. I wanted it. I wanted to put myself in a position of just laying before him, laying my life before him, and just in a really concentrated way, seeking his face. That's what the Pentecostals used to call it, pressing in, seeking his face. And we're in a season for that. That's, that's where the Lord takes us to. It's part of the rhythm. It's part of the, part of the heartbeat of our church is that we go through certain seasons like we just went through, you know, the, the holidays, Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas. And each one of them is unique and each one of them is something that, you know, people celebrate certain ways and dress certain ways and all of that. In the same way we're going into a season that is of seeking the Lord, of pressing into the Lord. It's something that's an open invitation to everybody to participate in, but it's something that our body does. Our body says this is the way our heart beats, is that we go through certain times and we just back off for a minute and we just stop striving and we just show up and we just cry out to the Lord and we put ourselves in a position to see him to hear him, to know him, to understand what his purpose is for us. Amen? So that's where we are, that's, and that's the reason, that's what's kind of prompted this. How do you have a personal in, encounter with God? First of all, you have to recognize that we, we have a tendency to substitute virtual relationships for real relationships. And listen, this is not just this generation. It has been mankind's uh, tendency to do this um, throughout history. Um, my, um, I got relatives who live in Louisiana. I think I've told you that before. I know I've told you that before. Um, and my uncle uh, used to be, um, like, drive a combine. And so he would kind of hire himself out. He had his own stuff that he was uh, harvesting, but he would also hire himself out. And um, so one day he came home um, from work, um, as they often did, like they have um, dinner in the middle of the day, like their big meal is in the middle of the day. Why? Because they're working hard. They get up crack of dawn in the morning. They're out there before the sun comes up, working hard all day, come in the middle of the day, and they had a huge meal, like a big, that's what we call supper a lot of times, but they had it in the middle of the day. So he comes home um, for dinner, and when he comes into the store where my grandmother and my aunt and his wife were, um, he, come, he came into the store, and, um, and he noticed that they were all crying. And he was like, what's going on? And his, his sister said, um, Peter died. And Uncle Carlo's oldest brother is named Peter. And so he's like, what? And my, my Uncle Carlo was a very um, emotional guy, um, for good and bad, you know. I could tell you some stories, but... Uh, 
I won't. But there is a story about a, a horse losing a tooth <laughs> because of something that it did. So, you know, he's an emotional guy. But anyway, he got, he got really upset, and he was just like, you know, what happened? What happened? And so they started telling him the story about what happened. And it turns out Peter is a character in a soap opera that they were watching. So cut to the next scene. There's a 19-inch black and white television flying out the back door into the chicken coop with cusses following, you know? It's a virtual relationship. It's something that they were, it's, it's, you know, emotionally deeply involved in that was not real. And my uncle is taught, thinking it was his real brother that had passed away, and it wasn't his real brother. Nothing had happened to Peter. It was a character on a soap opera. Heard another story. I'll give you a couple of them. Probably a lot of soap opera stories that you could tell, but um, there was a friend of mine that had a church, um, and they had a similar kind of meeting where they would meet on Friday ni uh, Saturday nights um, and just pray, and there was one lady in there that kept, kept offering prayer requests um, for this um, person. And she would say, you know, I need to pray for Paula this week because she's going through a divorce, you know, and I need to pray for her, and, you know, like, and so everybody prays for Paula. And so the next week they come back, and it's like, so Paula has found out that her best friend is having an affair, and she doesn't know how to confront her or talk to her about it, and, you know, you, so you know where I'm going with this, right? It was like six weeks into it that the pastor pulled her aside and said, how's your friend Paula doing? And she said, oh, she's not my friend. She was, she's on, you know, on a soap opera. She's praying about these things, you know. This woman really needs help, which is really funny. But, like, um, when I, when, uh, after Becky and I first got married, um, I was working here in town, and I used to go home for lunch. And, and uh, there was a, a, I think it's the girl that cuts our hair, was always talking about this soap opera. And we were always making fun of it. Like, that's hilarious, you know, that she's talking about this soap opera. Well, well I'd come home for lunch, and I'd turn the soap opera on, and we'd laugh at it. Six weeks later, I'm, I have to get home for lunch so I can watch this One Life to Live, or I think it was Days of Our Lives. I still see the Soap Opera Digest on the, you know, on the checkout line in the grocery store, and some of those characters are still there. And I'm guaranteeing you nothing's happening for real in their lives, right? Virtual relationships. And we are so prone to that. And I think that the, um, uh, what the Internet has given us is a very similar thing, except it's real people, but it's not real life. We're like voyeurs in other people's lives, but we're not interactive. We're not, we're not actually, actually involved in their lives. It's a, it's a simulated environment where you don't, you're not really dealing with the reality of what people are. You can look at people's Facebook picture and tell. Like you look at their Facebook picture and you're like, that doesn't look like them. You know, what have they done? They've gotten, either they photoshopped it or they found the best possible picture with the best possible angle and you're looking at it and you're not really seeing them and you're not really seeing their lives. And we think we are. We're thinking that we have relationships and the same thing can happen in our relationship with the Lord is that we can be around it a lot and we can be involved in it a lot and yet we may not be having these real encounters with God 
where he has the ability to actually speak into our lives and where we have the ability to actually cry out to him, where it's like a real relationship where there's give and take and there's, there's life and there's activity in it. You have to recognize what's real. Here's what's real, man. Real is complicated. Real's not fiction. In fiction, they make a story out of something and they discard things that don't fit so that they can make their point. But real life is complicated. It's up and it's down. It's great and it's horrible, sometimes at the exact same time. Your relationships with people are going to be complicated. And your relationship with the Lord is going to be complicated. It's not simple. Why? Because we're involved in it. Not because, you know, when you're talking about people, yeah, they're flawed. But most of the times, the things that really trip you up and really cut you down are the flaws that are on the inside of you. And man, is that ever true in our relationship with the Lord. It's not simple. It's not simplistic. It's complicated. Why? Because we are complicated. We are complicated. Why? Because we fall and we fail. Why? Because as, as um, I think it's Paul that says, I see through a glass darkly. One day I'm going to see face to face. Okay? But right now I see as through a glass darkly. It's like I'm looking in a funhouse mirror. How do I really look? What do I really look like? It's really difficult to tell. And that's why it's so important for us to constantly go back to the simplicity of my relationship with the Lord and what it takes to have a real, honest, life-changing encounter with God. It's constantly important for us to do that. Real is complicated. It's a struggle. You struggle on the inside and you struggle on the outside. You struggle with yourself. And anybody that tells you that you don't is not being honest because they struggle with themselves too. That like um, in, uh, in Romans chapter 7, the way that Paul describes it, there's things that I want to do that I don't do, and there's things that I don't want to do that I keep on doing. And that's, that happens after you get saved, you know? It shouldn't be a huge struggle, but it can be a real struggle. And God has a way through that. God is the third rail. God is the power to be able to live that life that you deeply desire to live. The things that you want, the things that you desire. I'm not talking about the superficial and the momentary, but I'm talking about the deep desires of the human life to have meaning, to have fellowship, to be honest, to be real, to be good. And we come back to the fact that this is the rail that I want to run on, but I've got to be in touch with the power in order to do that. And that's what a real relationship with God is. Here's another example. I mean, another uh, aspect of a real relationship uh, versus a um, fictional relationship is that real is personal. Real is personal. It's not impersonal. It's not a subject to be studied but it gets right into your heart and it gets right under your skin and it brings the real you out, the best and the worst of the real you. You are personally invested in real. You're not personally invested, honestly, really, in fiction and in other people's stories. It's your real life. It gets to you in a really deep way. I'm suspicious of anybody's experience with God that doesn't go through emotional highs and lows, ups and downs. 
I'm suspicious of that. If they're always presenting themselves with having it all together and knowing all the answers and everything's okay, then, I mean, I love that. I love it when I'm like that. But that's not the whole experience. There are times when I don't understand what's going on, and I have failed. I mean, the older that I get, the one thing that I feel like that I'm, I deal with, and I think a lot of people do deal with, is looking back over my life. And I, make, I made decisions, and I did things um, in my life saying, if I'm wrong, God will forgive me. You ever done that? You just do something. Sometimes you do something, even if you know that it's wrong. Moment of honesty here, okay? And, I, and, I've, and I've done things, and I've just known, I mean, I'm just like chill about it, because I'm like, God, God will forgive me. You know, if I'm wrong, God will forgive me. What I wasn't expecting is that 20 years on, I'd be looking back at that experience that God really did forgive me for, but I can't forgive myself. Regrets. Regrets. And that's what the devil always does, man. He tells you it's no big deal, you know? It's no big deal. You'll be fine. And then as soon as you do it, man, he puts that on you like that's a definition of who you are. You have done this, and you are a failure. Even though God has forgiven me for it, what I wasn't anticipating is that I have to forgive myself, and that's not always that easy. I get disappointed sometimes in myself, personally, like, like currently, but also especially looking back that I, I could have, and I should have. I could have been, I should have done done that that's real man that's a real relationship with the lord that we will go through seasons when we fall and when we fail and that god is there for us when we do there we will go through seasons when we don't understand and he looks like he's not a good god and in my heart i wonder does he really have my best interest at heart when you go through stuff like that, here's all I can tell you. It just means you got a real relationship with a real God. That's what it means. And I can also tell you this. He has a way through that. He has a way through that. He's the only one that really has a way through it. So don't be discouraged and don't give up. And don't get your focus off of him. Put your focus on him, not on yourself. Not on your failures. And not on your disappointments. And not even on your questions. And then the, the last thing about a real relationship is that it's costly. Real relationships are costly. It didn't cost me anything to watch a soap opera, except my time, which actually is very valuable, but, you know, and my emotional energy and things like that. But it's not actually costing any, it's not requiring any sacrifice on my part. It's not requiring any investment on my part. But real relationships do. They cost, man. They cost. I see Facebook posts all the time about people that are like, they're purging their friends, you know, um, they're getting rid of all the negative people, you know, and all of that. I'm just surprised that they haven't gotten rid of me because I can be very negative, you know. But what does that mean, you know? Like, I have a life here and I only want perfect people in my life. Well, if you only had perfect people in your life, they wouldn't want you in their life, right? Perfect people, you're not perfect. <laughs> Believe it. You know, you're hard to get along with. You just don't know it. It costs something. It costs an emotional investment to be in a real relationship. And it's going to cost you everything to be in a relationship with God. I don't want to hammer on the cost. Jesus said count the cost before you make a commitment. Okay, and there's no way I could have counted the cost 
before I gave my heart to the Lord. But there's also no way I could have anticipated the benefits of that third rail, of that grace, of that power to transform my life. There's no way I could have counted the cost of that. It, it's worth everything. It's worth living for. It's worth dying for. A real relationship is costly. So here's one thing that it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you some comfort. It's going to cause you to shake off the inertia and, and actually move forward. The hardest thing to overcome is the lack of movement. Are you with me? That's The hardest thing is to go from this to this. Going from this to this is the hardest part. Once you get this going, you got your body moving. You got your center of gravity moving. You almost have to keep going with it. And that's what it takes. It takes that um, initial like hunger and thirst and desire to say, I, I love where I am. I love this place, but I want to go deeper. I want to go further. I want to take steps that are going to move me forward in my relationship with the Lord. That first step. That first step is the most important, and it's the hardest thing to do. And listen to me. It's not as hard as it seems. Once you do it, you'll, you'll look at yourself and you'll say, why did I why did I doubt? Why, why, what was I worried about? You know? It's complicated. It's personal. And it's costly. It demands an investment. It demands a commitment. But listen to me. You need an encounter with the living God. You are not a believer if you, are not, if you don't have an encounter with the living God. And I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about walking in the fullness of what God has for you today. You're not going to experience it unless you have an encounter with the living God, whatever that means. I'm going to give you some examples of what it means. But what it means to you personally is that you, you, are, you are blessed because you have an internal guide that is constantly pulling at you, constantly whispering to you, sometimes shouting at you, but most of the time it's just a gentle nudge that he's moving you in the right direction and he's telling you what the next step is. You need an encounter with the living God. Listen to me, it's going to be hard, but it'll be real. It's life-changing. It's dangerous. There's death involved. There's death involved in marriage, isn't there? You don't have to say amen real loud. But when Peter was asking, you know, how many times should I forgive my brother? And, and he says seven times. You know how I hear that? I hear that in marriage. How many times should I forgive my wife? And seven times? That would be hard, man. Jesus puts the bar way above that. 70 times 7. And you're like, could I really live with somebody that I had to forgive that many times? And the answer is yes. Yes. That's what marriage is. Marriage is some great things, but it's also an exercise and an experience in forgiveness. Forgiveness. Moment to moment, day to day, season after season after season. It's real. It's hard. It costs. It's the most rewarding decision that I have ever made besides giving my heart to the Lord. David was talking about reckoning yourself dead to sin. 
last, last week. How important it is for us to, when we are faced with these things, to say, look, I've already made this decision. I've already made this decision. I'm not, I'm not coming to this flat-footed. I'm moving. I've got momentum. I've already made this decision to forgive, to love, to follow, to obey. I've already made the decision. I reckon myself dead to sin because I say this is who I am. This is who I am, and this is what I want to be. I want to be more Christ-like. I've already made this decision. There's no going back. There's no going back. It's hard, but it's real, and it's dangerous. Look at Moses' first encounter with God, and now I'm getting to the scripture that I was telling you about that I'm reading through the Bible in a year. And when I read it, I was just so reminded. I, it, it opened up to me again. This is the reason why I'm telling you it's so good to read through the Bible in, a, in a, just a practice, um, a steady, um, you know, predictable way is because you're going to be reading things. You're gonna, it's like in the same day that you're doing it, you're going to read something that you have heard a thousand times, and you're going to read something else that you have not heard in years or maybe ever. I mean, there's some verses in the prophets that I had to look in different translations to say, is that really in the Bible? I mean, some really, some stuff, you know? And it's good to read through it in an organized way like that because you're going to be going back to things that you know and then you're going to be encountering things that you don't know. And one of those encounters, one of those passages, I just read this past week, and it's in Exodus chapter 33 verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to read it to you. I'll give you a second to get there. Exodus chapter 33, 1 through 3. Um, if you don't have your Bible with you, um, use the, um, the, um, the U version uh, of the Bible. If you don't have that app, you need to have that app, okay? you got a smartphone. There's probably no other reason to have a smartphone than to have one that can help you look up scriptures and help you stay in the Word on a regular basis. So if you don't have it, it's the... You version of the Bible. It's still called that, I guess, huh? Search Holy Bible. Yeah, they, got a, they, they actually got a corner on that, that actual, yeah, Holy, Holy Bible. Search Holy Bible. It's got literally hundreds of translations and thousands of reading plans um, that you can use. So go there now if, you're, if you haven't been there yet. Um, uh, go there now. And we're going to read Exodus chapter 33, uh, 1 through 3, and then 4 and 5. Oh, before I get to that, I'm sorry, before I get to that. Moses' first encounter, remember Moses' first encounter with God? And like he is, um, he's in the backside of the wilderness, he's, you know, he's a shepherd, um, he's a wanted criminal, he's a, he's a murderer, um, and he's hiding out. You know, he was raised in the luxury of Pharaoh's, whatever Pharaoh had, I guess he didn't have a castle, but Pharaoh's pyramid, no, the pyramid was where they buried him. Um, but he had a house, you know, and, and Moses was like a son, you know, to him. That's what he was used to. And then suddenly, one day, he, in a rash decision, decides to identify with the Israelites, and he kills somebody, and then he finds out that even his own people were gossiping about that, so he lit out. And so he's on the backside of the wilderness living a shepherd's life, which is a tough, tough life. He's not in his element anymore and while he's out there doing that surely feeling like a a failure and surely thinking that you know he's made some bad decisions and his life is probably over as he's as he's out there a bush is burning and it's not being consumed and he sees it and he decides to turn aside and lo and behold it's I mean it's amazing that a bush would burn but then 
number two that's even more amazing is that it spoke to him. And the, it was the voice of the Lord. And you remember what the Lord said to him, the very first thing that the, that the Lord said to him. He said, take off your shoes. And that's a warning is what that is. That's see, and I think the, the scripture I'm about to read, but, but this as well, this is a culmination of the story. Like I've been reading this story from Genesis up to this point in Exodus and all of the horrible things that happened as a result of mankind being um, separated from God and his terrible decision to disobey when he could clearly, simply, and really easily have obeyed God. He chose to disobey God, and he chose to break his relationship with God, and God the whole time was like a father that was saying, you're lost and I want you back. Not you're getting what you deserve. Oh, too bad for them. But he's, the father's loving heart is to restore this relationship and it comes down to this place, and what Moses is experiencing is man in his natural element facing a holy God. And God says, take your shoes off, because the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. And when, when Moses heard that, it's like saying, be careful, because there's a third rail here. And this could be a great experience, and it could be good for you, and it could be good for a bunch of other people, but it could also be deadly for you. This is not playtime. This is not pretend. This is real stuff, and it's a real God, and he's really holy, and sin is really important to him, and you are in danger. But it's God that's calling him out. God knows how to handle these things. God knows how to do this in a way that you're not destroyed, but you're transformed. God knows how to do this. And what I love about Moses is he's doing this routine thing. I don't know about you guys, but every time that I'm driving to work or driving to church or driving to you know, lunch or a meeting or something like that, I'm always seeing interesting things. I never pull over, you know? I mean, if I see somebody hurt on the side of the road, I will pull over, right? But I just, I see a bunch of, I never, like he saw this and it was really interesting and he turned aside, and that's what we're talking about doing. That's simply what we're talking about doing is I've got my regular life and I've got my stuff going on and all of this and I'm willing to turn aside from all of that and see this great thing. And God spoke to him and he said, take your shoes off because this is, this is serious, man. This is holy ground. This is holy, holy ground. And Moses did. Okay, fast forward to Exodus chapter 33. And uh, it says, the Lord said to Moses, chapter 33, verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to Moses, get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give you, give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I will give this land to your descendants, and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Awesome, that's good, yes, get up and go, get going, this is not so good. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel with you. I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people, and if I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. 
Now, what God is saying here is just a statement of fact. It's just a statement of fact. In, uh, is, it, is it Isaiah where he says, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, is that, you remember a chapter there? Six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple. And you remember what his reaction was to it? He said, Lord, depart from me because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And God sent an angel with a coal from the altar and touched his tongue with it to, 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 um, to purify his, his tongue, to make him able to stand in the presence of the living God. And even that was veiled. Even that was not face-to-face like Moses is going to encounter. Even that was still under a controlled environment. How would you like it if somebody that you loved, you could only come through form or substance or something? How, how about if, like, somebody that you dearly love, some of you have had this experience, and they're in the penitentiary, and you go to see them, and they've got them behind glass, like you're seeing them, but you can't touch them, you can't hold them, you can interact with them, but it's that distant, and that's the distant environment that sin has created in our relationship with God. It's like there's a distance between us. There's a wall of separation between us, and it's for our safety. But it's not what God wants. doesn't want you in bondage. doesn't want you at a distance. doesn't want to have to talk to you on a, home, on a phone through the glass. He wants, to, he wants to talk to you. He wants to, like he had that relationship that he had with Adam and Eve when he walked with them in the cool of the day. What did they talk about? I don't know. I look forward to knowing that. What does God talk about when he's just chilling? You know? There's nothing going on. Does he talk about creation? I hope so. Does he talk about himself? I hope so. And he's so hindered by sin, but he's determined to break through that. He's determined. He tells Moses, I'm not going up with you. And here's Moses' reaction, uh, the, the, the people's reaction first. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you're a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. Again, he's not, he's not playing games. This is real. This is true. This is who they are and this is who he is. And if they want to have a relationship with him... They're got, they have to listen to him because they don't know how to do it. If you want to have a relationship with your heavenly father, first of all, know that his desire is so much more than your desire could ever be because he sees the whole picture and he sees you as you really are and he, and he knows what he's capable of doing, but you've got to do it his way. You can't do it on your own. You can't just make this thing up. You can't just do it by feel, you have no feeling for this. You have no sense for this. But he does, and he's determined to do it. That's the second time he told him, if I went with you, I'm going to kill you. We can't get along. I have to do something about you. 
And then here's the part that really resonated with me that every time I read it, 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 it gets to my heart. It's, and it's 33, 12, and 12 through 23. It says, One day Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, take these people to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. He's using God's words. He's walking in faith. He's, he's believing what God has said. He said, you haven't told me who I'm, who I'm going to go with. But he says, you have told me. God has told Moses, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. And then Moses says this, if it's true that you look favorably on me, then let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. God says, I know you. Moses says, I want to know you. Is it possible to know the living God and not be consumed and not be destroyed? Is it possible to look on such holiness, such beauty of holiness, holiness and not be like internally destroyed, cratered, wrecked? God says, I know you. Moses says, I want to know you. Let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And that ought to be your prayer. That ought to be our prayer. I don't care where you've come from or what you've done. I don't care how much success you've had in your walk with the Lord up to this point. There is always an appropriate season to say, let me know your ways. I'm not done. I'm not done. I want a personal, that's what Moses is saying, I want a personal encounter with you, God. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. You see how God is like always giving us an out. He's not forcing it on us. Jesus often said, if you have ears to hear, you know, listen. But he never said, you have to hear this, you have to do this. He healed a guy, and then he says, go your way. He didn't say, you have to follow me now. You're under this burden, you know. Now I'm going to tell you the, you know, the what for. He's like, go your way. And, these, and the blind guy is just like, where am I going to go? I'm going with you. It's not a burden. It's a joy. God says, I will go with you, personally with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. And then Moses said, if you don't go personally with us, I don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, uh, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all people of the earth. It's your presence. It's your presence. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, and I will look favorably on you, and I know you by name. And Moses responded. See, God's still not putting any burden on him, but, but this, this is what this guy is saying. And I'm telling you what, man, God dreams of people like this. He loves people like this. He loves everybody, but he's looking for people like this. When God says, I'll go with you, I'll give you your request. You know, what you've asked for, I'm going to do. And then Moses says this, he just takes it up a notch, man. He just takes it up a notch. And he says, then show me your glory. And show me your glory. 
Jesus was praying at the Last Supper. He said, um, uh, uh, to show them uh, my glory as the glory that I had before the foundation of the world. What? What? What does that even look like? It's been described as being a bright light. It's being des- been described as being like Fuller's soap. It's, it's been described as being uh, like somebody who is, um, who is refining a metal. It's, it's always been described in the terms of like that third rail. Listen, I, I don't know about you guys, but I am um, I'm afraid of heights. I don't mind saying that because I know other people are. I'm not really afraid of heights. I'm afraid of doing something stupid on a high place that will result in falling from that high place. That's what I'm afraid of. You know, especially when I'm in a high place and I'm, you know, and I just, you know, I get wobbly and, and stuff like that, you know, and I'm afraid I'm going to do something stupid and fall. Actually, I'm not afraid of falling. I'm afraid of the sudden stop at the bottom of the fall. I've imagined, you know, that the fall, like if you could just enjoy it, you know, the fall would be exhilarating, right? But that sudden stop at the end is going to change life forever and maybe discontinue it. That's what I'm afraid of, right? Fear of the Lord is a lot like that for me. I was just thinking about this, you know, when I, when I woke up this morning, that sometimes when people talk about the fear of the Lord, they're like, well, I'm not afraid of him, you know? Well, I'm not afraid of high places either, you know? I mean, there's nothing in them that's inherently, you know, dangerous. It's, I'm, it's me that I'm afraid of, you know? In the presence of a holy God, in the presence of a God who, who takes it all very, very seriously. Why? Because it is seriously. Who sees sin as not my own self-expression or my own, you know, um, freedom, you know, to express myself or to do, you know, what I'm going to do. That's what people think, you know, sin is. Sin is just, you know, I get to do this or I get to make a decision. No, it's death. It's death. It's death. It's falling and splatting it's it's not it's he sees it that way and he understands it that way and what does it take to stand in the presence of a holy god it takes him doing this and it takes you doing this too you have to say show me your glory you have to say that you have to say i love where i am but i'm not satisfied to stay here because i want to go on with you I want to go on to the depths of things that I've never experienced before. I want to go on to true honesty, not playing games, not putting myself, putting a face on for everybody to see, but the true honest person, the thoughts and intents of my heart, the way that I behave in private when nobody else is looking, the things that I think, the things that I do. That's what I want. I want honesty in the inwardmost parts. So show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me the glory that was Jesus's before he ever created all of this, who he is, who he was. Now, he, listen, he's toned it down for us. He's made it possible for us, but that is not his whole glory. The disciples saw him when he was transformed in the, in the transfiguration, and it was different than the guy that walked with him all the time with dirty feet and probably smelly pits like most of us do, you know? He was transformed. He was, he was brighter than the noonday sun. Uh, who, was it Moses and, uh, and Elijah that were talking to him? You know, the law and the prophets were talking to him, you know. He's not just a teacher. He is the teacher. He's not just a God. He is the God. He is the living God. 
and he was transfigured before them, and it, it, it was like when Moses saw God, when Moses had this experience, that's when he came down from the mountain, and his face was on fire, shining. And everybody was like, put something over that, please. They weren't like, this is awesome, let's look at it. It was just like, we can't handle the truth, <laughs> right? And what do we say? Show me your glory. Show me your glory. It's not your face that's going to shine, but it's your heart that will shine. Being in the presence of the living God, it's your heart that will shine. Let me close with this. I started with 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to go back to it. It says, by his divine nature, God has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him. At the Last Supper, Jesus said that they may know you, that they may know you. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you. Anything else is just existence. It's not real life. He said that they may know you. And what he's talking about there is know by experience, not observe from a distance, not hear stories about and marvel and wonder about, but to know personally, face to face, to remove the wall of separation, to remove the veil that hangs over our eyes and to look fully upon Him. By His divine nature, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. That's the power. That power, that rail, is where forgiveness comes from. That rail is where purpose comes from. That rail is where peace comes from. If you're walking with the Lord and you're experiencing a lack of these things, it's because you're not connected to that rail. It's because you haven't stopped in a really intentional way and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't want to hear all the distractions. I don't want to, I don't want to worry about all the I want to be connected. I want to see your glory. I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. I want to know the fellowship that comes from going through the same things that you went through. Three things. Jesus told us this. These are the three things that we need to do. He said, ask and you'll receive, seek, and you will find knock the door will be open. Ask means I want this. You say to God, I want this. He's not going to force it on you. But he will give it to you if you ask. Ask. What does it mean? I don't know, man. I'm learning, but I don't know. And I didn't know when I asked. All I knew is it's the right thing to do. And I had to have it. I wanted to have, like Moses was put, pressed to know him. And he said, show me your glory. He didn't know what it meant. You don't know what it means. But you can say, God, I want that. Ask. And then the second one is to seek. And that is to seek is to, is to move. It's to pay the cost. It's to say, I know what this is going to cost me, and I'm willing to do at least this much. What is right before me today to say yes to it, a, a, an act of obedience today, to seek. To seek is to move, okay? And then to knock is to stand there at the door and knock on the door, not really knowing what's on the other side of the door, except to know that it's Him. And then when it opens, it's like it's putting yourself there at the altar 
and just coming before him and saying, I'm knocking on the door, God. I'm asking for you. I'm moving and I'm knocking on the door and I'm putting myself at your disposal and I'm putting myself fully in your hands and I'm saying, show me your glory. never said that before, this is a good time to do it and this is a great place to do it because you're surrounded with people who have taken that step before you and will be a huge benefit to you as you follow up and you begin to walk in that. If this is the first time you've ever done that or if you're coming back to it, maybe you've been gone from it, maybe you think you've been lost, I don't know about that. I know that he's here today and if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't go back to those old ways. Hear it with fresh ears. Hear it with the new heart that he's given you. And if that's you, and if this is your, this is your time, this is that holy time, you're on holy ground here, just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. I repent of the many, many, many ways that I have failed and fallen and sinned accidentally and intentionally. Will you forgive me? Cover my sin with the blood of the cross and receive me as your child. The Bible says when you do that, that the Holy Spirit comes in and suddenly it's not just God, it's Daddy. Suddenly it's not just a concept, an old guy on a cloud is your Father. By that Spirit, we cry out to Him, Daddy, Father. Maybe you have walked with Him for a while. Maybe you've gone through a season when you're just dry. Dry seasons are good. Dry seasons cause the roots to go down deep. be honest with God, be honest with your friends, be honest with the people that God has called you to walk this journey with. Just be honest. Do you have somebody that you can be honest with? Do you have somebody that you can actually talk to? Because I submit to you that you can, but it takes courage. I submit to you that if you're a child of God, He's put you in a relationship with people that you can be honest with. It just takes courage. And I want to I motivate you to take that step today be honest with your brothers and your sisters and your family and maybe your spouse and just say, I have felt dry. I have felt hard. I have felt unknown. Will you pray for me? All he's looking for is honesty. He doesn't play games. Like He, he becomes strangely non-responsive when we're playing games. Sometimes he's non-responsive for a lot of other reasons, but that's one reason. If you're not being honest with him, you're not experiencing the fullness of being connected to that power, that rail, that third rail, that third cord. Finally, maybe today is not about you at all. We're praying for five people that we've identified that need the Lord. 
Maybe this whole thing has just been to remind you of who you are and remind you of who He is so that you can pray effectively for those that He's given you the privilege of praying for in your life. Let's just pause for a minute and do that, okay? Let's just bring these precious people before the Lord. And as we do, we're going to worship. If you want prayer, you can come, and, uh, and I'll pray for you. Do we have others to pray? Okay, I'll pray, um, and I'll pray for you as long as, as you need prayer this morning. Let's just stand and enter into worship this morning. As we're worshiping, think about those five people that you're praying for by name. Bring them before the Lord, and, uh, and just let the Holy Spirit lead us as we pray. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, you are perfect in all of your ways you are perfect in all of your ways to you are perfect in all of your ways you are perfect in all of your ways you are identify you with somebody who's a believer. They may not know very much about God themselves, but they would look at you and they would say, that person does know the Lord. That, that person is the real deal, um, is, uh, is an authentic um, person. I want to pray for you right now and for that relationship in particular, um, that God would give you, number one, that he'd make you intentional about your faith, um, that you would be able to communicate your faith in a simple and honest way that connects uh, with that person that you're praying for. Because 
You know, sometimes when we pray, God says, well, you're the answer to that prayer. He's, he's not just going to fall on them or do something different than that. He's, he's got you in their life. So I'm going to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord Jesus, to be filled with the Spirit of God, with discernment, uh, with wisdom, depth beyond ourselves, not because we know everything, but because we know you, and you know them, and you know everything. Give us, Lord Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be working in our lives so that we would be able to, to communicate, to, to speak, and to live a life that communicates the goodness of God and the open invitation to them and their lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not just be passive in our prayers, but that we'd be seeking and knocking, Lord, and that we would be moving forward and expecting to see an answer. I just thank you for that, Lord. And I pray for more, God. I just thank you that you've got us in this season. I have no idea what to expect. Don't know, Lord, how it's going to look. I just know, Lord Jesus, that when your people take you seriously and when your people respond honestly to your call, amazing things happen. Just like my brother Ramey was talking about this morning in his outcry, his prayer to you, Lord. Oh, God, give us all a prayer like that. Just in awe and amazement at what you do, the way you do it, and what you make us into. Send us forth from this place, Lord, with a, with a heart full and a mouth full of good things, Lord, just good news to speak to this world. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and you're dismissed this morning.